James, ushers, you can go ahead. It's awesome. How many are excited to be light in Kingston? I'm, uh, I'm excited anyway. And I, I feel like, you know, our time is quickly coming. Does anyone else anticipate that? Yes. That's awesome. Well, let's just, uh, let's just pray, and, um, and then we're going to get into um, part six of Follower, and we, uh, we give you a little bit of background. Uh, we actually have this last section, we, many of you have been in the series would know, we talked about those that are admire, those that are inquire, those that are responders, and those that are followers, but the fifth one was those that are responder, or reproducers uh, of the gospel message of Christ. And so Sandra is actually going to be bringing that next week. There was thought of possibly her sharing that today, but I just felt a little addition that I'd like to throw in here. Um, and so I'm going to do that this morning. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your heart, for your presence that is in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and that you have a plan for our lives. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are blessed and excited to partner with humanity to see the gospel message come to this world. We thank you for your desire, first and foremost, to lead us. And Father, we make a decision this morning to say we will follow you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you have probably heard of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, not only was he uh, someone who obviously uh, literally turned history around, but he was someone who if you've ever heard him speak, was so ridiculously moving and inspiring that you get to the end of one of his messages, you couldn't help but be off your seat and cheering him on and excited about what he was talking about. And it was interesting, but there was a little phrase or a little saying that he used to say at the end of almost every one of his messages, and it was part of an old slave's prayer, and it went like this, Oh God, I ain't what I ought to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be, but thanks be to you, I ain't what I used to be. And that statement probably for the most part really describes your life. It describes you. It describes me. It, it, we, we can honestly say today that we're not where we want to be, but man, I'm so thankful we're not where we used to be. <laughs> can I get an amen on that one? And there was a guy in the Bible that probably lived this principle out more than anybody else. His name was Peter. I don't know if anyone can relate to Peter. Uh, Peter was a little bullheaded. He was a little opinionated. Uh, Peter liked to speak before he thought. He did that often. And uh, there was a lot of things about Peter that you could admire, but there was a lot of things about Peter that didn't necessarily inspire you, right? If we're all being honest. How many know that when the Bible was written, it wasn't written necessarily to make these men and women of God be something bigger in our eyes than they really were. They were just like you and I. Made mistakes, wished they could go back and change it, couldn't do it. God's grace came in. God's love came in and changed their life. And so Peter's life was literally, this is how it went. Grace, failure. Mercy, failure. Love, failure. Hope, failure. And then finally, destiny and impact. That was his life. And so many of us here today keep thinking, well, Lord, if I could only measure up. Well, the reality is, is none of us can, but he chooses to have relationship with us anyway. That is the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. 
And so today, I want to just look very briefly at five follower lessons from the life of Peter, the life of someone that we can all relate to. Now, you may relate to all five issues. You may relate to one, but I guarantee you something's going to hit you this morning. And in each context, I'm going to share a, a passage of Scripture in which Jesus and Peter were communicating so that you can see some of the lessons that they actually lived out together. So the first one, very, very powerfully, is John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42, and it says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that, what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. I don't know about you, but whenever you are in the process of walking towards being a follower of Jesus Christ, the very first thing that God wants to do in your life is to change your old identity and replace it with a new one. And it's amazing to me that the very first two people that were followers of Jesus Christ were Andrew and Peter, the two brothers that were fishing one day. It literally says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus came, he looked at them fishing, and he basically said, hey, you want to fish for men? And they went, sounds good. And they got up and left. They just left their job, left their livelihood, left their pension, left their career, left everything, and just went and followed Jesus. This is the very next statement that comes. Jesus looks at Peter and says, you know, I know they call you Simon, but from this moment on, you're Peter. And it's amazing to me, the name change, the identity change is a consistent pattern all through Scripture. God changed the name Abram, which meant father to Abraham, father of many nations. What's interesting is he was the father of many nations long before he ever became one, right? He changed the name Sarai, which meant princess, to Sarah, mother of nations. He changed the name Jacob, which meant deceiver, and he became Israel, prince with God. One of the interesting interpretations of the name Simon is the word reed. For those who've seen marshland would see all these reeds sticking out of the marsh and one of the things that is interesting about a reed is that they're very fragile, they're easily blown about in the wind and in some ways they're unstable. They don't have a lot of strong foundation. Peter, which means rock, literally meant to be strong, to be solid and to stand firm. And so when Jesus was looking at Peter, he basically declared, listen, to this point you've been unstable. To this point, you didn't have a strong foundation. To this point, you were just blowing in the wind of life, and the circumstances of life just kept blowing you back and forth. But today, I'm going to declare over you, even though you don't see it right now, I'm going to declare over you, every single time I see you, I'm going to call you the rock, the immovable rock that will not be shaken when turbulent times come. I'm going to call you the rock. And I believe this morning, Jesus is looking at each of you, and you say, well, I don't feel... You know, like, I don't, feel, I don't feel like that reed. Jesus is looking at you today and calling you Peter. He says, you don't understand what I've been through. Uh, he knows better than anyone. You don't understand how bad I messed up. Trust me, he knows. He saw it. Okay? Think about this. Jesus saw what you did to mess up, and he still loves you anyway. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus always sees us as he intends us to be. And this is the powerful transformation of a follower of Christ. He calls us what we are to be, but he calls it now because he believes it now. The second thing is this, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17. Incredible scripture, and it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
great name of a town. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, he's saying, so what's the, um, what's the common cultural norm out there? What do they think of me? What's being said about me? What's on the headlines? What's on our smartphones? What's, what are the, 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 the titles and the, and the topics that are being discussed about me? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Now, I want, I want you to understand something here. He's asking 12 people. But only one responded. Who? Peter. The Rock. He responded and said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Notice what happened here. Paul, or sorry, Peter changed and declared a new confession. And this is what happens with your life when you become a follower. Not only does your identity change and you're walking in a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. But now you're walking with a new confession. How many know that once you become a follower of Christ and you make the decision to be all in, how many know your conscience starts to get pricked when you start talking the old way? And you're like, that didn't feel too good. Now, it doesn't doesn't just have to be words. It can be thoughts. It could be ideas. It could be, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm I'm not good enough. I'm not going to get there. How can I overcome this fear? I'm an insecure person. I feel rejected. How do you overcome that? Have a new confession. Have a new confession. It's amazing to me. He's talking to 12 people, and the only one that had the courage and the guts to respond was the one he called Rock. Even though in that same passage he said, yes, Simon, you got it. What was he saying to him? Yeah, I, I get the fact that you're stepping out. Why? Because you had personal revelation of the Father. I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to a new confession, you don't need new information. You need a new revelation. Too many people are living in information, but what we need is revelation. Revelation of what? Revelation of who you are in God. Revelation of how much he loves you. Revelation of what he thinks about your life and about your circumstances. Revelation about what he has in your future and what he has as far as the destiny for your life. Can I go one step further? The destiny for your family. Don't just think you. Don't just think, well, you know, if I'm a follower, blah, blah, blah. No, think your family. If you don't have one right now, you're a family. That's okay. You're the family of one. Well, think about what God wants to do. Because he has something so much greater. I don't know about you, but in our culture today, um, and I actually learned this Friday night being at the uh, sex ed curriculum seminar, which was fantastic. Um, The one thing I realized is that everything that is happening in our culture right now is to get you to speak in alignment with the ways of the world and the philosophy and the wisdom of man so that you stop your confession as a believer and see the, the, the wrong fruit in your life. I don't know about you, but it's becoming increasingly obvious that the systems and the philosophies of this world are not going to get any better, and they're not going to get any more biblical. As a matter of fact, they're about as anti-biblical as you can see, and it's going to get worse. Oh, happy days are here again. But I believe what's going to happen is God is going to separate those Christians that walk in a true-ish 
philosophy versus those that are walking in the truth. And I want you to know right now, the greatest moves of God, the greatest spiritual awakening in, throughout biblical history, throughout the known world, even over the last 2,000 years, our friend that James is actually referring to, Travis, used to do Bible college courses and used to teach Bible college courses on church history. And he used to talk to me about this stuff all the time. He'd be like, do you understand, Cameron, that every time it gets really, really bad and persecution comes against the church, it precedes the greatest moves of God ever in the history of the world. And so we cannot be discouraged about what we're hearing. We cannot be discouraged about, well, this, you know, this law is going to be passed in, in, uh, at Queen's Park. This law is going to be passed at Parliament Hill. We don't have to worry about it. What we have to do is stand firm and be like Peter the Rock. I'm going to stand firm. I'm not going to be moved or shaken by what wind or doctrine comes. I'm going to stand firm. And if that means that we get persecuted, then we get persecuted. I want you to know that the greatest proof of your followership is not your love, but is your persecution that comes against you. It's the greatest proof because it means you're standing for something. The enemy hates people that stand for truth. Okay, next one. Next one, three. Matthew 14, verses 28 to 30. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. So yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. At this point, Peter's faith obviously was undeveloped. But what God wanted to do in his life is the same thing he wants to do in your life, which is to walk with an increased faith for the supernatural. Again, there's 12 people on that boat. Only one decided to get out. All right? I want you to hear this statement. He overcame fear by stepping out of the boat and stepping into a miracle. The only way you can step into a miracle is by stepping out of what contains you. Okay? So for some of you, it, I mean, it can be a variety of things, but if I can, uh, if I can speak to one area gently, it's... it's because it's such a common thing in our culture, is money. We struggle Get letting, letting go of control of money. Why? Because it's what we see every day. How many know you still have to pay your bills? How many know that the Hydro One comes calling and Kingston, you know, this and utilities that and bills this and bills that? They come calling. And so what happens is, is we, we struggle to get out of the boat of safety and into the miracle because the safety part is what brings us comfort. But God is saying he wants to increase your faith for the supernatural. Peter's faith, just like ours in a lot of ways, is, was underdeveloped. But God is saying, listen, I want to develop your faith. And the way it's going to happen is when push comes to shove and you're standing on that boat and you don't know what's coming around the corner and God says, come. You go, come where? Just come out of the boat of your circumstances and trust me for a miracle. Amen? Fourth thing is this. Matthew 26, verses 31 to 34. And I want to camp here just for a little bit because this is the one I really want to hit on. It says this. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. This is the last day before he dies. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. 
And Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. Oh, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second. The very person that you've served for three and a half years, the very person that you love, the very person that you believe in, the very person that you want to emulate your life after, the very person that has personally mentored you for that long and has spoken life into those circumstances, he basically looks at you and says, you're going to betray me. You're going to disown me. You're going to abandon me. And you're going to reject me in my greatest time of need. And then he doesn't even put a disclaimer. He just leaves it. Thud. Right? A couple of verses later in the same chapter, in uh, verse 70 to 74, it says this, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Gave it away, right? They all talked the same. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately, the rooster crowed. Peter failed the person that he loved the most. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest steps of becoming a follower of Christ is when you can walk past your deepest failure and leave it at the foot of the cross. I've been praying all week about this, and I felt this so strongly for somebody this morning, and I'm just going to share it. It could be for 20 of you. It could be for one of you. I don't know. But as I've been praying and believing this morning for this message and walking through your deepest, walking past your deepest failure, I believe for some of you that's the way that you viewed your parenting. And I just believe there's somebody in here that has just beat themselves up and beat themselves up and beat themselves up and beat themselves up because of what they think they should have done or what they didn't do or all this stuff. And I believe this morning, this is going to be your morning where you're going to take that regret and that failure and you're going to lay it at the feet of Jesus today and you're going to let it go once and for all. And you're going to allow him to minister to the wounds and to the issues of your heart related to that issue. For you, it's going to be something different. For you, it's, somebody di it's something different. But for somebody in this place this morning, it's, it's in the area of parenting. And I just felt like the Lord is saying today, he wants to let you know, listen, I love you. I'm not calling you Simon anymore. I'm calling you Peter. And you need to believe that this morning. He's calling you Peter. He's calling you the rock. I don't know about you, but in this particular instance with Peter, this was the failure of a lifetime. I don't think you could do much worse. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there is. Some people would argue that being a Leaf fan was much worse. But in this particular, in this, in this particular one, I can't think of anything more difficult than trying to work through this particular issue. Think about the shame and the regret that Peter was struggling with. Think about what he must have done. In some ways, I'm actually kind of surprised that Peter wasn't the one hanging on a tree instead of Judas. But it wasn't. God never gives up on us. God never gives up on you. 
And no matter where you've been or what you've done or the mistakes you've made, God never, ever gives up on you. Because Jesus loves us with an everlasting love. And when he sees you, he doesn't see Simon, he sees Peter. I remember when I had my real moment with God, and many of you know the story, but some of you in this place don't. I'm going to say it very quickly. But when I came out of my genuine experience with God, many of you know my name is Cameron. And for those that have looked it up in the definition, it means crooked or broken nose. Which I'm okay with now. I've had to work through my own healing, uh, um, you know, for that. But what's interesting is the moment that I had this epiphany with God and God started dealing on my heart and started ministering to me his love and his grace, this name Josiah started popping up everywhere. It's 1997. And this name Josiah starts popping up. And I'm like, I know that's a biblical name, but I couldn't even remember the story. And so I started looking into my, into my Bible and started looking up, you know, who's this Josiah? And it turns out he was king at the age of eight. He was such a godly kid that he was king of Judah at the age of eight. He restored the true worship to the house of God. He tore down the foreign gods and the foreign uh, things that came from the other uh, nations. And he literally brought the nation of Judah back to a place of serving God. And God in that moment just kept saying, you are Josiah to me. I don't see Cameron, I see Josiah. And I remember when Sandra and I met, and we started obviously getting, you know, towards marriage and, you know, start having those conversations about kids. I, I remember saying to her, honey, I know our first child is going to be a son. I know it. I know it. And it's going to be Josiah. And it's going to be proof that all the old stuff of my life is gone. And that there's a new foundation for a new family. And that's exactly what happened. And he's right there. But I want you to see the grace and the mercy of an amazing God. I want you to see what Jesus does. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. And I'm going to explain this as I go because sometimes certain things when you read scripture aren't as obvious as some other things. So I'm going to explain this. It says, when they had finished eating, so this is after Jesus rose from the dead, he, uh, dead, he came to, they had Denny's for breakfast, so that he all came, he walked through the wall to have Denny's breakfast. Okay, that's how important Denny's was back then, all right? So, Grand Slam breakfast with Jesus. All right, Simon, he said to Simon Peter, notice what he calls him. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. What's interesting here is there's three different words that are used for the word love. I'm going to focus on two of them. One word that is described and and, uh, that is used in our English language as love is the word agape, which means the unconditional, everlasting love of God. There's another one called phileo. Have you ever heard of Philadelphia? What's it called? The city of? Brotherly love. It's talking about friendship, brotherly kind of love. So I'm going to read this in the actual context in which this was written. Are you ready? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, do you agape me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Because that's what's being said. You can look it up. Two different words. Jesus comes to him and says, do you agape me, Simon? He says, 
yes, Lord, I phileo you. What's interesting is the phrase, feed my lambs, literally means to feed the babies. Feed the baby sheep, feed the lambkins, feed the little ones. Verse 16, it says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Like, did you miss what I said the first time? He answered and says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He says, take care of my sheep, what it literally means, shepherd and guide the sheep. So he's not just saying, feed the little babies now. Now he's saying, shepherd and guide the sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. So Jesus said, feed my sheep. And what's interesting about that last feed my sheep, it actually means this, to walk forward and guide the sheep as a tender shepherd. What's interesting is Jesus' heart here is to restore Peter. But he doesn't do it in the traditional means. I don't know if you caught this, but he says it three times for what reason? Is he, was he trying to make his point? He said it three times for a very specific reason. Because, well, you know it. Josiah, do you know the answer? Why? You got it. He's a smart kid. You can preach next Sunday. All right. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus restores him. And the very last time he says, no, you're going to be the shepherd of this flock and you're going to guide them with a tender heart of a shepherd. What's interesting here is Jesus also said, listen, I know that you can't, you can't feel like right now that you can measure up to follow me with agape love. So I'm going to come down to your level and I'm going to say, I'm going to phileo you because that's where you're at right now. What he was actually doing here, after you caught this as well, he didn't call him Peter, he called him Simon. Because I believe at that moment he, he wanted to say, listen, Simon is dead from this moment on. So from this moment on, you're now Peter. We've dealt with all the stuff connected to Simon. You are feeling the shame and the guilt and the instability of the old Simon right now. So I'm going to restore you threefold and I'm going to bring you to a new place. So the old Simon is not going to have a voice in your life anymore. But Peter is going to have the strong voice in your life. You are going to be a rock that is immovable with the things of God. Do you believe that this morning? I guarantee you Peter was discouraged. But at the end of that moment he knew the destiny and the impact and the call of God in his life. Without a shadow of doubt. Just when we thought we've burned all our bridges, Jesus goes behind us and rebuilds them. That's what he does. Because his heart's there. But you know what? It didn't end there. Verse 18 and 19. It's amazing how Jesus always finishes the story. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which, who? Ah, he changed the name now. He didn't say Simon anymore. He said, this is a new identity. It's a new place. It's a new confession. It's a new faith for the supernatural. Uh, you're getting over your greatest, deepest failure. It's the new season, Peter. This is the kind of death Simon died. Peter came. That Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, what? Follow me. 
the very first thing that he said to Peter in the very first chapter of this book, follow me. He repeats it again as his last words to Peter. Follow me. What's the last thing that is the most important thing that we have to capture today? It's to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to, I want you to capture for a second one day in the life of the new Peter. Are you ready? This is one day. I'm going to just write, read them off here. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 21, Peter prophesies. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 37, Peter preached. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 41, Peter gave his first ever altar call and 3,000 people responded. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10, Peter heals a lame man. Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26, Peter preached at Solomon's porch and 2,000 more people came to Christ. And that all happened in one day. What preceded that? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came in and filled them. And not only were they speaking in other tongues and prophesying as the Spirit gave utterance, but they had a boldness come upon them that was ridiculous. It actually gets to the end of this whole day, and Peter actually asked Jesus for more boldness because he didn't feel like he had enough. I'm kind of lacking in the boldness department. God, can you just give me a little more? Like, okay. But at the end of that one day, they were arrested. What a great end to the day, eh? They were in custody overnight, and the next day they were actually brought before the religious leaders of the law, and this is what happened. Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, the easy way to deal with that question is, um, Jesus told me to do it. Okay? That's the easy answer. That's some ways what an admirer, an inquirer, and a responder would say. But look what Peter says. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, just in case you're missing where the power's coming from, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, in case you're not listening, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He even threw his last name in there, you know what I'm saying, and his place of birth. He just didn't say Jesus. He gave his mission, where he was from, all in one thing. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone that you rejected. Just in case you missed the last comment. You rejected him. Which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else or in no other way or in no temple ceremony or in no religious laws. Other than the name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus, right? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with who? The only conclusion is, man, these guys must have been with Jesus. But since they could see the man they had, who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What could they say when the very proof of what they're talking about is standing right beside them? Right? It's pretty powerful. So what makes all the difference? Being with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had so many times in my life where I could honestly say, I look back and I go, 
you know, I tried to figure things out. I tried to do things on my own. I tried to figure it out. I tried to do things on my own. I tried to figure it out. I tried to do things on my own. And then I said, Holy Spirit, fill me because I don't know how to do this. Power of God comes and then, man, you can do things that you could never possibly imagine because of the Spirit of God in your life. How many know that many of us can be plugged into the source but not have the switch turned on? So God doesn't want you just to plug into the source. He wants you to flip the switch. What's the switch? Plugging in the source is God. The switch the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants. I want to end with one thought. And I have to thank James for this one. This is a great little thought that he actually shared with me earlier this week. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. And this is the story of Elijah passing on his ministry to Elisha from one prophet to the next. And this was when he met him and basically called him to follow him. And it says this, Elijah left and found Elisha plowing a field with a pair of oxen. So this is what he did for a living. And there were 11 other men in front of him. And each one was also plowing with a pair of oxen. Elijah went over and put his own coat on Elisha. Elisha stopped plowing and ran after him. Let me kiss my parents goodbye, and then I'll go with you. He said, you can go. And Elijah said, but remember what I've done for you. In other words, he's saying, not, you know, I'm the best and you should follow me. He's basically saying, just remember what I've asked of you. Take it very seriously. Okay? So verse 21. It's one thing, again, to be a follower. Say, you know, and Elisha turned and he followed Elijah. That would have made sense in that verse right there. That would have made sense. But what does he say? Elisha left, took his oxen with him, and he killed them and boiled them over a fire that he had made with the wood from his plow. He gave the meat to the people who were with him, and they ate it. Then he left with Elijah and became his assistant. So not only did he follow him, but he burned and got rid of everything else that could have drawn him back to his old life. Why in the world did he destroy the plow? I mean, you could have, been, you could have given that to somebody else. There was 11 other people there. They could have had it as a spare or a backup or anything. But I believe, if I can just say this because this is so key, I believe that when hardship comes, Elisha wanted to rid himself of any temptation of another life outside of the life that God's calling him to. So he eliminated it by burning it all. He first used the wood of the plow to burn the meat, and then he burned the plow. So there's nothing left. What's God saying today? Burn the plow. Burn the meat. Get rid of anything that would be a distraction or a draw, a temptation to come back to something other than the plan and purpose of God for your life. Amen? Amen. Let's just say a word of prayer, and then I'm going to invite those that are here to do communion, help me with communion, to come up. And I'm also going to invite Dolores to come up at this time. Father, let's just...